what happens when things overlap. They just screw me up completely on the intro where I'm trying to do my damn JR impression. I can get the studio audio fixed. Damn it! Oh, anyways, how you guys doing out there? This is another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Episode, I have no idea. Uh, me and Juwan make jokes about it all the time that we have no idea what our uh, episode amounts are. Maybe one day we'll go back and look up the exact amount, but all I know is that me and Chris have been doing this for almost a year now. Uh, which is crazy, but uh, it's coming up soon. Um, I need to check back the, the date exactly, but I know it's coming up soon because of like certain things that we talked about a year previous uh, came up on Facebook, and I was like, oh, wow, we covered that. Huh. So uh, how, how are you doing uh, tonight, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton? Thank you for joining us, Hi. as always. I am doing fucking swell, bud. I'm glad to be off work. Got a long vacation. Drinking a cold beer going to be a nice, chill, chill vacation. I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully I get to catch up on all of the New Japan that I've missed, the tag team tournament, other than the highlights and stuff like that, so I'm really looking forward to it. How about you, man? That was a commitment. I'm doing good. That is a commitment I don't know if I can do. Uh, I've been thinking about doing that. That's a lot of hours. That's, that's one thing. I mean, New Japan always gives you great performances, uh, but it's definitely something you got to, like, put a lot of time into. And uh, this is coming from the person that, you know, caught up on Supergirl and Legend of Tomorrow last weekend. So maybe I just need to acquire better use of my time. I don't know. But either way, <laughs> we're doing some wrestling stuff. Uh, one to mention, guys, and I'm going to be uh, posting the final list that we – basically, I annoyed the shit out of Chris for the last two weeks about this list and finally gave me an okay <laughs> – for it after telling me like I'll look at it, chill out, and I'm I'm a crackhead about certain things, and I wanted to like you know, and not only that, I think he okay, I think you did okay it beforehand, and then I changed it. Uh, that's how I am. So now we are up to 105. Why are you up to 105, Dave? When you said 100, well, I thought of 100, and then I realized that I should have five more that are part of the actual era, and I had five people that like all of them coincidentally retired in '87. So they're kind of like an honorable mention, but we're just going to fucking do it for all of them. Uh, when we get to a good number, probably like 25 or 30, where me and him have finished, uh, we'll probably get to that. The only thing that sucks, and I think that maybe this is also, this might be it for you too, Chris, is starting from the top and going down with the older wrestlers and keep on going is actually, I think, a way harder process than if we started out, you know, at the guys from the beginning or the end of the Attitude Era and went up. Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing for me with this list of 100, comparing it to modern wrestlers or from the 2000 or 2005 and up, is going to be the fact that a lot of these guys trained <laughs> current wrestlers. Um, so that's going to be uh, tough, especially, you know, uh, not necessarily personality-wise, but some of the ring style-wise, like Daniel Bryan, for instance, falls into a lot of categories where he trained under some really great wrestlers. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an experiment, and hopefully we can get some call-ins and some opinions on, on what we've said versus uh, what what people's actual opinion is of what we've said and what their opinion is. I think it's going to be a fun process, and hopefully we get good feedback on the page. And um, Really quick, outside of the Generating list, shout-out to uh, Juwan and Joel uh, on that Phil Lamar interview. If you guys haven't heard it, make sure you check it out on Geek Vibes Live. It was it was pretty, pretty fucking great. The only sad thing about it is it's not longer. 
because <laughs> I there's so much I wanted to personally ask that guy. But uh, make sure you check that stuff out too. Absolutely, definitely check out the Philomar. Uh, I was really happy with that Philomar interview. Jawan did a great job. I told him that he was extremely engaging, and I basically kind of like he just told him I was like. You know, not I listen to all of our stuff uh, because I'm an ego egomaniac, and also because I like to learn from my mistakes. Um, so, you know, all of our content I listen to, and listening to that interview, it made me get lost, and I forgot that it was one of our interviews. And that's not saying anything bad about our interviews, but that's how that's how relatable Juwan was able to, you know, talk to him. And I mean, this is a guy that's been in the uh, animated business for a long time, and done so many voices of people that we like but it, it was a really really cool interview i definitely check that out guys on blog talk uh you know just go to geek fives nation and find the interview with phil Lamar. but uh let's let's talk some wrestling oh actually i did want to mention for anyone once i do post this list on facebook which will probably be tomorrow you know if you want to participate great we might do something where we have like a fan vote at the end of who has the best but who knows maybe this will just be about just for the hell of it for conversation purposes and really i don't want you to like either if you're doing it for yourself or if you're, you know, analyzing our list, it's not so much like this person is the definitive person from this time period. Now, it's just like this person reminds me, uh, either through their gimmick, their their in-ring style, or a combination of everything of this certain other wrestler. I mean, the best example I can give you that's kind of hard not to, to, to stray away from is Shawn Michaels and AJ Styles. Yeah, they're not the exact same gimmick or anything like that. And I'm pretty sure AJ's I've met him. I'm pretty sure he was, he's been a nicer guy, let's say, uh, throughout his career. But as far as the best modern in-ring performer, I think AJ has that over anyone else. And I think that he has, he's the most comparable, uh, you know, being able to go from heel to babyface, just like Sean. That's just an example. So we'll have a bunch. Um, I was going through them, and like I told Chris, I think that my brain shut down when I was trying to figure out someone for Randy Savage. So we'll just go from uh, – from there, and uh, we'll, we'll update you guys. So, yeah, look for that tomorrow on Geek Vibes Nation. On the page on Facebook, uh, the list of 105 of the best wrestlers of tomorrow. Uh, very much just people I picked and Chris O'Kade. So if anyone's missing, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do it for every fucking person. Look, I was like, oh, man, I, met, I forgot Gorilla Monsoon. I forgot Big John Studd. And I'm like, well, God, who the fuck was I going to pick for them anyways? I mean, if... Eric Rowan for Big John Studd, and um, what's that 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 guy's name? Uh, I don't remember. Doesn't matter. Why don't we just get into the news? So we get some show notes, guys. Uh, the first topic of news: Alpha versus Omega has begun. Well, uh, during the tag tournament that Chris was talking about earlier, uh, I think it was was it this this last Saturday? No, it was two Saturdays ago. Um, at, at one point, Kenny Omega was in the ring shooting a promo. And the lights went out. Uh, Chris Jericho ended up on the Titantron giving some, you know, some roundabout threats to Kenny. Lights go off. Lights come back on. Jericho's actually in the ring. He goes and just knocks the shit out of Kenny Omega. Uh, starts beating the crap out of him. He gives him um, – I've, I've not seen someone sell the Codebreaker so well, honestly. Uh, he gives him the Codebreaker, uh, hits him a couple more times. There's a little bit of blading. Uh, Kenny's bleeding, which is something that you don't normally see in American WWE, at least, or something that's involved with Chris Jericho. And then uh, Don Callis comes in, who's good friends with Chris Jericho, good friends with Kenny Omega. You know, you have this whole entire concept that's been building where people are really 
starting to fall for it a little bit. But the, the amazing kudos to the buildup on this whole entire match. And kudos for Jericho to go overseas and put a little bit more than just a promo on a Titantron and actually get involved. Um, but anyway, so then he gave co- uh, Codebreaker to Don Callis, took him out, who he's supposed to be friends with, playing the heel. He's got this new persona that's, that's, that's different. It's almost like he's going towards a little bit of a mixture of, I don't know, his, the first cocky Chris Jericho mixed with the more silent, quiet Chris Jericho. It even comes off a little bit like Kenny Omega's. Honestly, like the same thing, like kind of like he's mocking him almost. They had a press conference. Chris Jericho was talking to New Japan and the press involving um, Wrestle Kingdom with Kenny. Well, Kenny jumped out and jumped on top of him and started beating him. Chris Jericho threw a table at, uh, I, I, I'm assuming they were, they were press people or New Japan people, and nailed Kenny in the head. So basically, I think Jericho's got him twice now, uh, at least once for sure. But it was just a great spectacle and a lot of fun to watch. And I'm very much looking forward to oh, – well, I'm, I'm looking forward more so, I think, to Okada and Naito. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to Jericho and Omega, too, uh, just because it's going to be it, – it, they're right. For wrestling fans, this is kind of like for fight fans, and I'm a fight fan, too, and I watched, actually, the fight over at, at, at Chris's house. But Jericho got inspired from uh, McGregor versus Mayweather, and this is very much the wrestling. Like, we did not think that we would see this. The way that they're amping it up is great. We had someone on the page ask if it was, if it was, if it was real or, or not, so it's definitely working to some extent. But you saw all this stuff, Chris. How did you feel about the buildup these last two weeks for Alpha versus Omega? I thought it was absolutely great, especially when you expose the relationship of Don Callis with both of these guys. Uh, you know, because Don Callis has been on Chris Jericho's show multiple times. He's been uh, someone that Chris Jericho has worked with in the past. So it was very interesting that they threw Don Callis into the mix. I think it added a little bit of element. I think all of Chris Jericho's promos have been great. And I think your comparison to Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor is pretty much spot on. I mean, at at a glance, this is just a straight wrestling-ass storyline. Like, you're not better than me. I'm kind of the old dog. I've been here. I'm kind of the best. And they're playing it up like as a classic, uh, even NWA-type storyline, something like Terry Funk versus Ric Flair. Um, but there's so much added element to that because of what they were able to accomplish in the media. Um, just on Twitter alone. And while you have people like Mel- Meltzer and a few other guys that came straight out and was like, hey, look, like, it's obviously leading to something. There was a lot of people online that was that seriously thought that Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho had, you know, heat with each other. Um, so overall, I mean, I thought it was very entertaining buildup. I thought that both the segments with Chris Jericho, um, you know, getting the better of Kenny Omega, um, Calling, he called, uh, what, what was it he called? The, he Shut up, fuckface. That's what he said to the Japanese reporter. He made Japanese reporters write down specifically what he said and then just, like, ripped it up and threw it in the air. Like, Chris Jericho is being, I think, the heel that he's wanted to be for a while, going back to even when he came back, run against CM Punk. Um, and he kind of did, like, a trolley, anti-straight-edge hard-ass. I think this is, like the most heel you're ever going to see Chris Jericho. And it's, it's phenomenal. Um, Cause Chris Jericho, he, 
even in the times that he's played a heel, he's always been kind, had a comedic aspect to him. And this is more straightforward, like, I'm going to beat the living shit out of you, which really translates well to the Japanese audience. And this whole thing has me so stoked uh, for Wrestle Kingdom. And I think they've done a great job building it to the point where I forget that Okada is the champion. <laughs> and I fucking love Okada. So, <laughs> saying a lot about that card um, and what they've been building to. Uh, so, it's going to be great. I mean, I think it's going to be awesome to see what they really, what they're able to put out. But the other thing that I think is getting looked over, and it could be because we're the American audience, is we're getting the build of NATO versus Okada, right? So, I, I think that's going to be pretty awesome as well. So I think this is one, if you're kind of a New Japan fan, this should be the one that pushes you over the edge to purchase you know, New Japan World to watch the shit live because you're going to get an incredible match between Jericho um, and Omega. And Jericho looks like he's in better shape than he's been in a while. Like He looks like he's been lifting and preparing for this in a manner that I haven't seen from him in a good bit. Uh, and then you're also going to get NATO versus Okada, which is going to be fucking phenomenal. So I, I don't see any reason why. If you're on the edge of buying your Japan World, this should be the thing that pushes you over the top because it's going to be fucking phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, everything about the build to this match is something that WWE should look at and figure out how to do it and not make it cartoony as fuck because this is how wrestling feuds and how wrestling matches should be built over time to where it actually means something. Um, <laughs> which Gato is just, I mean, they're just, New Japan is just so on the money right now to the point where, and the more they're able to do stuff like this and get the American audience involved, I think WWE should worry a little bit. Or at least try to get involved with New Japan in some form or fashion to help both companies. Um, but yeah, this is going to be it's going to be incredible. I'm really looking forward to it. I think, if anything, it's probably the latter. Um, I, I think that, you know, the fact that, and it, it's because that I don't think, honestly, Vince sees as much of a threat in New Japan, which, I mean, when it comes to American audiences, I don't think he should. Um, you know, but the fact that he was so cool about Chris Jericho doing this, and Chris Jericho is the one that said that Vince thinks it's a good idea for you know, someone that's uh, supposed to be a WWE guy going over there. So who knows? Maybe this is the beginning to a uh, a different future when it comes to involvement with uh, WWE New Japan. Maybe this is the first stepping stone uh, for us to be able to see stuff without Kenny leaving, you know. Uh, maybe, like we've talked about, it would be so amazing if they could have, like, some type of pay-per-view uh, at least once to try a versus between all the big uh, names over there. Screw it, maybe it's a yearly thing. Uh, you know, maybe they do this once a year. I mean, WWE, obviously, like you were saying, of how they build uh, their, you know, gimmicks and, and uh, their storylines are very different than New Japan, but if you had something like this, I would rather see an invasion angle involving New Japan and WWE than Raw and SmackDown, honestly. Um, so, who knows? Uh, I will say that I am looking forward to Wrestle Kingdom immensely, and that's because of the two matches that you said, and then I don't know a lot about, um, is it Jay White, uh, but I love Tanahashi, 
and see him. Uh, he's, I'm assuming he's going to drop the IC belt. I, I don't have a lot to bet that on, um, but just because it's a, it's a new up-and-coming guy that's apparently big over there. He started New Japan. He's one of their creations. Um, you know, I, I could see that happening for Wrestle Kingdom. If not, Tanahashi keeps on going on as the Intercontinental uh, Champion. It's just he seems like he has an injury, and uh, you know he's, he's getting older, so maybe drop that. Uh, start a new year with a new uh, with some new blood. But I'm also looking forward to the uh, Ring of Honor Championship match between Cody Rhodes and Kota Ibushi. A lot. Um, Cody's been talking a lot of shit uh, on online, and it's fun to add that type of extra element to build up stuff. I mean. Obviously, that's why we're intrigued by Jericho and Omega, but that will be Wrestle Kingdom, and we will definitely be covering that. Uh, I don't think we'll be covering it directly afterwards, because I'm pretty sure it will come on at, like, what, 4 o'clock in the morning over here? But once it's, you know, reshown and everything, uh, and me and Chris will valiantly try to watch it immediately so we can get you guys results before it's spoiled for us. Um, but it's professional wrestling, so it's a lot of butts that I just said. Uh, do you have any closing statements for anything New Japan related before we move on, buddy? I do plan on watching this uh, live for Wrestle Kingdom, and I will try to post up a reaction video depending on when this thing ends. Um, I think it's happening during the weekend, so uh, I know last time it happened on a Sunday, so I didn't get to watch it because it started on Monday, but I think that they've kind of move the schedule around. I don't know ex- exactly what date, but I think it's either happening on a Friday or Saturday this time. So I think I have a better shot at it. The other thing I would say is that Wrestle Kingdom, uh, in the way they've sold tickets, has been kind of weird. They've, they're selling at the Tokyo, Tokyo Dome, which should sell out. And I think it holds probably, would say, I think the number was 48,000 to 50,000 people reliably. And the way they've been selling American tickets, they sold out in like a matter of minutes again for their show, but they rolled them out kind of slowly. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of crowd New Japan gets that's American-based and how the American fans uh, that will definitely be there for this react uh, to the Kenny Omega Chris Jericho match. And I mean, you're putting in a hell of a lot of money to go to this show, so hopefully it's very respectful, but I think you're going to get kind of a weird crowd where you have I don't know, 10 to 15% of Americans, just like at WrestleMania, you have so many people from different countries. So it's going to be interesting to see how people react. And I think that's going to be another aspect of the show to look out for that could be really cool. Um, and the other thing is, uh, one thing I didn't mention was the Chris Jericho promo from the hotel room afterward with Kenny Omega's blood smeared on his face. It's fucking great. So if you haven't seen that, awesome. check that out. Yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Uh, all right, uh, let's go. Oh, man, this next subject really pisses me off. All right, Chris, remember months ago, WWE was going to expand their market in India. So they put the title on, and they were choosing at the beginning, before the whole you know India picture came into it, whether they would do this angle with Rusev or Jinder Mahal. Jinder uh, losing uh, the, the uh, giant battle royal to um, Mojo Raleigh. Um, at SmackDown because of Gronkowski, and then losing, following up from that after having a losing streak, they gave him the title because they're going to go into India and sell that bitch out, which they couldn't even do. <laughs> this is all just ridiculous. Pissed me off. Um, build up gender, had him have two feuds, one with Shinsuke, one with Randy Orton that went absolutely nowhere. Um, finally got a decent match out of him from AJ Styles, who took the belt from him. 
uh, found out from gender with this whole entire thing that he didn't know he was dropping the title or that he wasn't going against Brock Lesnar. He found out the night that he dropped the title to AJ, that both of those things were happening. Uh, come to AJ now having the title, um, and he goes to India, which is supposed to be the big thing. We're going to India. We're going to have, uh, you know, Jinder uh, defend the title, I, I believe, against AJ, and he's going to beat him in India. Big deal. Helps out the whole entire Indian market. No, instead, Triple H beat Jinder Mahal at the India House show. I don't even know if Triple H is a heel or a babyface anymore. Apparently, if it's televised or in a pay-per-view, <laughs> you know, he's a heel. But if he's at the house shows, he's an extra part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and dancing with Jinder Mahal after showing him so much respect after beating him. I don't understand this whole entire situation. These are type of the things that makes me want to take a rock and smack myself over the head uh, because you completely wrote your storylines around this concept to go, Eh, never mind. Actually, let's put on AJ. It's, what, yeah, duh. Oh, God. Chris, does this frustrate you, too, or do you still see any silver linings about all this bullshit? I mean, there's no silver lining for gender. Like, he's going to be tossed aside and probably not utilized again. And I think the big problem is, is going into, you know, after those two feuds, they had a good look at what, how that was affecting the WWE Network versus the Indian market. Like, they can track that stuff. They know whether it was moving the needle or not. And, I mean, if you're from India and you're a wrestling fan and you've been watching wrestling, I don't know that this necessarily moves the needle for you as a wrestling fan. And I don't know that Jinder Mahal, as a heel, was the person that's going to make people tune in and watch. I don't think they developed enough storyline. If anything, you would want him to be like the underdog babyface if you're trying to build for the crowd to get behind. And I think gender would have been someone that you could have done that with based on, you know, how long of a losing streak that guy had. You could have started him at the bottom, made him pull himself up. Like there was ways to get gender to where he needed to be other than just having him win a battle Royal. And that was my problem from the get go. And that's why it didn't work. It, when people see someone lose week in and week out and then only win by cheating, very heelish, it's not going to make a whole country want to watch that guy. In fact, he's representing, you know, a negative, like he's representing that country negatively because he can't win. He can't win a legitimate match. So it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, it was a terrible way to build the character. I'm not surprised that they made Triple H be the guy that beat him in India. I mean, Triple H is probably still more over the gender in India. Uh, I mean, Triple H is a legend, and anyone who would come to a WWE house show in India, which, once again, the attendance wasn't there, is probably going to be, you know, internet wrestling fans or diehard wrestling fans. I doubt very seriously that you're getting, you know, people that are just there to see gender. They're going to be there to see bigger stars. Jinder Mahal is not as big of a star as John Cena. There's, and, and the part of the problem is, like I said, this could have been built where it worked, um, and it wasn't. And I think it's just because they tried to do it way too fast on like the win. And basically, what they did was they wasted main event matches. They wasted uh, wasted Nakamura's time. Nakamura had to take two losses to this guy, basically. 
Um, so in a lot of ways, I mean, even Randy Orton had to take a loss to this guy. So it's in a lot of ways, it's attracted from stars that are bigger because they didn't spend the time to build Ginger up. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Jinder Mahal fan. I think he's fine. I think what he's, what he's doing is fine because of the position they put him in. But it was just wrong from the get-go. There's a whole episode where I yell about it, so I'm not going to spend any more time on it. But it, I'm not surprised that this was the outcome because, you know, you're putting him against Triple H. That's a big match. If Triple H wins, you know, he's the king of shovel styles. No one's going to be disappointed anyways. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's better I, to put, I, I, you know, it's better to put him over Jinder than, like, Randy Orton. And Jinder's Randy a heel, Orton. and WWE, every house show always ends with the good guy going over, and I think they were like, well, we'll just make Triple H the good guy in the match, and at the end they'll do a little dance, and everybody will leave happy. And, I mean, it's a house show. It's not televised. The difference now is that this shit gets out on the internet, and people have, that's how they've always done their house shows. It's not surprising at all. They're always goofy. Like, if you watch the end of, like, if you if you go to a live event, right, like SmackDown or Raw, there's always a dark match afterwards, and the Hills always look yeah. like absolute idiots, and the good guys win. That's, it's, Vince has always done that. It's his, send the fans home happy. And he's always done that. So send I'm not the fans home happy. <laughs> I, I, I think it's kind of funny that, uh, uh yeah no I I agree um I just like like I said this kind of wasted a lot of people's times and God we could have had Shinsuke the champion for a while now um and him and AJ could have been going through a feud leading up to Mania but or, or even bullshit. I mean or even Baron Corbin who had the money in the bank like if they wanted to get the title off of him they should have done it sooner and then that you could have built a match between like Baron and AJ Styles I think Baron becoming champion would have had a better run as a heel than Jinder Mahal. Um, hey, after the, man. But, I mean, if you're going for, like, I'm a monster sorry. heel, Baron fits that mold more than Jinder, especially when Jinder's monster heel gimmick is that he has two guys that are, like, tiny <laughs> as his <laughs> managers, you know? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking make any sense. He's, like, one of the biggest guys on the roster, and he needs help to be, like, Sami Zayn. You know, like, the whole, the way they booked Jinder Mahal, I feel bad for him. I'm glad that he got to run with a title just because the guy has been around for so long. And he really does work hard to try to get better. Um, but like I said, they put him in a very unfortunate spot where I don't think anyone can succeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think since I've heard him in interviews outside of it, I think he's a nice guy, but... I don't know necessarily if I feel bad for him, just knowing that there's some of my favorite wrestlers who have never been the world heavyweight champion in the past, um, and guys that are there now that are not going to end up getting the world title, uh, and he had it. That's that's the way I look at it. Maybe it's a negative way of looking at it instead of like you know the glass uh, half full sort of mentality yeah, that but, you're presenting. But I, can't. I mean, wouldn't you rather wouldn't you rather not be champion at all than have like a really shitty title run you'll be remembered for? Hell no, man. I want to be in the books. I want to be like, yeah, man, same list as fucking Buddy Rogers, and I'll name about 20 people on that thing. No, I want the title. Yeah, but Give me the damn title. It's the WWE title, not the NWA title from 1970 to 87 or whatever. I don't think it means as much. 
Well, technically, that's the same belt. It's supposed to have the same lineage, and if you look it up, I mean, this one go, is the one that goes all the way back to – wait, who does he consider the first champion? Is it Lou Fez, or does it go before that? So I know that uh, – what's his name? Um, Ed, Ed Lewis had a belt, and they considered him the world champ. I don't know if it's the same one that became – I just watched a documentary on the network. You guys should definitely check it out, the history of the world title. It's pretty damn cool. Um, but, yeah, Jinder uh, Mahal – Hey, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll get him involved with something else. I still can't believe that Braun Strowman's not a champion. That's on friggin' Raw. So, um, but then again, they're keeping on Brock to be safe. I don't even know. I just, this, this type of stuff where it's like, I love this man. We've said it so many times before. Uh, you know, he's brought me so much fun uh, with, with wrestling, and I can't say he doesn't know the business, but I just feel like his, his creative uh, juices are fucking drying out real quickly. And I think this well, whole we entire last year, we we also don't know the financial pressure to get into the India the India market, and that's that was their guy, like that's the guy they had. So at some point, it becomes less of like, I really want to put the title on this guy to like, well, let's see what the fuck happens when I put the title on this guy. Yeah, I think they just like you were saying. I think that they just took too long to figure out. I mean, they let him go through two different feuds before they're finally, all right, maybe it's not working out. Now that we're looking at the numbers completely, maybe this is a bad idea. I just, I understand he's an excellent businessman. I understand that he understands professional wrestling. Sometimes it's like, wow, like that was, well, we'll just try it. Oh, fuck. It doesn't matter. It's only one year. WrestleMania will be here soon. And then that's it. And then we just turn it around and uh, hope for the best next year. If you would have, when I first got wrestling, I saw his Jinder Mahal character. If you told me that in a year he was going to be champion, I would have laughed at you. Um, but then again, that's happening. So, uh, any last words about Mr. Jinder Mahal, the modern day Maharaja? Chris, before no, but if, if, the, if the fans want to take a trip down memory lane, if they go to our uh, website, there is a blog posted about why wins and losses are important in wrestling. And I think you can date all of the tragic Jinder Mahal stuff back to the fact on how he was booked and how he was pushed way too fast. So just go from there. The old school wrestling mentality in me says that is your root problem, not actually Jinder Mahal as a performer. No, it's not. It's not Jinder's fault. I just don't think that he's that. Um, he, he looks like a million bucks, but I just don't think he performs like a million bucks. And that's one thing I have to say that with the old promoters mentality, is I'm getting sick of. I would wish that wrestling promoters of, of old that 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 criticize wrestling uh, would realize that people's showmanship inside the ring should be more important than if they have a fucking six pack and look like the Ultimate Warrior. You know, um, I'm never gonna get that. I don't think Chris is either. That that's something that will always be there, even after in modern day wrestling. But you know, you got your guys like Lex Luger, you got your guys like Gender, you got your guys like Warrior. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm not really, or even Goldberg for that matter, which you don't have to have a lot in the ring at all. As long as you have a good physique and a domineering presence, that's that's all. And it's like, I just wish that there was more than that. I mean, shit. Hunter the Giant well, used to fucking throw a drop kick back in the day and friggin' end with a tombstone power driver. He's the one who came up with that fucking move. And these guys well, you know, like, barely move around the ring. I mean, and that's the thing is, like, if you actually go back and watch, like, Hogan and AWA and shit, like, he can go. He just didn't have to. Oh, yeah. Um, and yep. the reason it was like that is because he was booked well. And wins matter. 
Like, Hogan was fucking undefeated yeah. for a long time. And that makes a huge difference. Like, CM Punk didn't always have the best matches when he held the title for, like, 400 fucking days. But it didn't matter because it was believable that he was such a dominating force. And he was good on the mic. And a lot of that is, you know, one, how you're booked. And two, your ability to get yourself over. And I don't think they put gender in a good situation either way. Because, once again, they booked him as a heel. They got cheap shit wins. And they didn't give him any wins before they thrusted him into a title picture. So... Well, if you guys don't agree with us, or if you do agree with us, remember, you can call at any time throughout the show. Just call 929-477-3781. You'll be on hold. Press 1, and I'll cue you in so you can ask a question or make a statement or whatever. Just don't cuss at us, because then I'll fucking take you right off of it. Just kidding. (laughs) All right, let's move on, Chris, to the next thing. You know what's better than talking about Jinder Mahal? Talking about uh, battery and false imprisonment charges. What the fuck? All right, so WWE suspends Rick Swan indefinitely after his arrest on battery and false imprisonment charges. I don't know the name of his either wife or fiance or girlfriend. She's a female wrestler, but basically this, this, this started from an argument that stemmed on a phone call, or not on a phone call, on, with the two of them on the drive home from his, uh, his, his partner. She's a female wrestler, and he was basically criticizing some of her wrestling abilities and this became a big dispute to the point where he had to pull over the car and witnesses saw them or him running after her and grabbing her and physically forcing her back in the car. Cops were called. Rick Swan was thrown in jail and WWE suspended him. And we all saw what happened, which I don't know why Cedric didn't go over, over Rick Swan. He's already had the fucking title, but that's different conversation. It's because he's probably going to eat a pin from Drew, Drew Gulag. Um, but either way, Rick Swan's done. This is my thing, okay? Um, they they witnessed you manhandling this chick a little bit. You forcefully grabbed her and drug her ass to the car. You've got to have better sensibilities than that for any person, especially an athlete. Like, I don't care if she's a female athlete. You are someone that has strength and everything. You have to restrain yourself a little bit. I don't know what happened, which is the reason why you guys, you know, pulled over. I don't know if she was punching in the face several times while you were driving. I had no idea. But there has to be, especially where you're at of being a wrestler, you know, knowing that you work for WWE, some type of sensibility that keeps you from doing stuff like this. So we never see Rick Swan in the WWE ring. It's it's because honestly, he deserves it. Um, that's how I feel. I'm not saying that there's not more stuff that goes on involved in all this, but he works for WWE. He can't be fucking manhandling his girlfriend in front of witnesses. After pulling over and you know and, and doing all that type of stuff, you you got to have a little more sense involved in it. Um, all the Page and freaking Alberto Del Rio stuff, which we're going to be going through uh, their, their final breakup in a second. But this is just it's just stupid. You know that you know the the picture of him where he, that he took for the uh, police department. He was probably like, "Fuck, I'm I'm screwed." You know, I I don't condone hitting women. I don't think that women should hit guys. I don't know what happened exactly throughout the whole entire course of this, but better judgment, I think, should have been on Rick's, uh, on, on his uh, part. <laughs> I mean, if, if people are in front of him and he's a professional wrestler and he's doing this with his significant other, it's probably going to get his ass fired. Uh, I don't see him coming back to WWE. Chris, do you see any differently? The only way I see him coming back to WWE is if they drop the charges. WWE will gloss over this kind of stuff if it doesn't actually go to court. 
the one thing I will say is once again, it happened in Florida and Florida has zero tolerance on domestic dispute. So this is going to show up in court in some form or fashion. Uh, it's ter I mean, it's a terrible situation. And apparently it started because he was criticizing her in-ring work from the event they were at, which is just something that's a silly reason to get into a fight over. It's something you could probably talk out. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances behind it. Uh, and I don't want to speak because I don't, like I said, I don't know what happened on either end. Uh, but I, either way, if, if you're a celebrity, you can't do stuff like this at all. Like you can't put yourself in this situation and for Rich Swan, it could have cost him, it could cost him a contract. So, you know, I don't be surprised if you see him show up on TNA after he gets let go or if he gets let go. I, I mean, there's places for him obviously where he can get work. He's a good wrestler. I like Rich Swan as a performer. I don't necessarily like the gimmick that they stuck him with, which is like happy, smiley, dancey guy, which is always a terrible gimmick to get stuck with. Can you uh, handle it? Can you handle it? But, oh, oh. But, uh, Can you handle it? Sorry. It's just bad all around. And, you know, I. it's you would think that after the Alberto Del Rio stuff that recently came out that people would be a little uh, more cautious, especially with the fact that they didn't even, like, theirs was more of a verbal argument than anything else. This was like a physical headlock threw her in a car and then chased her car down because she – reportedly because she had the GPE directions on how to get back to their house. Like he didn't have a cell phone or something. So I, I don't know. This whole situation seems very shady. She came out and says he has a temper and that's why she was trying to leave. So there may be even more coming from this. that could be uh, gross, but I think WWE took the right, uh, right step by suspending him. That's what the NHL, NFL, NBA would do as well is actually suspend him. And, uh, you know, it would be nice for WWE to at least acknowledge it on TV and not put him in a match. If he has an upcoming match, just remove him from the match. Or not even acknowledge it. Just be like, uh, yeah, well, you guys already know what happened. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's just a bad situation all around. It sucks. Uh, they were apparently married for, like, you know, nine months ago. Been together for a long time. So, I don't know. Just weird situation. And sometimes this happens with condone any of it so don't go out and headlock people and then chase them down in your car not a good idea guy or not girl. a good idea at all <laughs> yeah no kidding and seriously i mean that's the thing is like we don't know what when he started criticizing her and whatever escalated their emotions to him having to pull over we don't know what happened um i don't know i didn't really hear all the details like i said i don't know if he struck you know, it doesn't matter to me. It goes back old school. You don't put your hands on a woman, and if you're a fucking celebrity, even to a small, like, level of Rick Swan, if you work for WWE, you don't put your hands on her in front of people. Uh, so hopefully, maybe, they, you know, cooler heads can prevail, work something out. If not, I'm sure he'll go for many indie promotions, and I'm sure he'd do great. He's a great in-ring wrestler. And all I'd say is that if he doesn't have a temper, and he actually, this is just him, you know, and he actually beats his uh, wife's significant other, then fuck him. I hope he never gets a job ever again. But, you know, we don't know that. We don't know all the details. I'm just giving you guys what we heard. So uh, we'll find out what happens to Rick Swan. Um, I'm guessing that Cedric kind of, uh, you know, won from the whole entire thing, I guess. There's a silver lining in that whole entire fucking dispute. Anyways, let's I go mean, the silver the next. The, the, 
the silver lining is that Cedric Alexander is a way better performer and a better gimmick. They just need to push him in the right direction. So to me, that is a silver lining. But other than that, yeah, there's no silver lining. Someone's going to lose their job and, and possibly go to court. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to talk about some more uh, crazy romance bullshit that's finally done, Chris? Because Paige and Alberto De Rio, De La Patron, whatever the fuck, they're officially done. Um, I'm happy about that. Honestly, if you are that, like, destructive of a couple and some of the stuff that they were doing, it sounded like they were just getting wasted and yelling at each other and fighting the whole entire time. You know, I don't think it's going to work out for you. Um, so they're officially done. I think that's good for Paige and good for him. Uh, I think that was a toxic relationship. Um, but did, did you see this, like, lasting at all, or did you think it was going to be done as soon as it happened? Honestly, I don't necessarily think that the thing in Orlando is the reason that they've broken up. I think that you have Alberto Patron that has two kids. He's 40 years old, and you have Paige, who is very young. I can't think of her exact age, but she was... 23? She, she's 25 right now. So you have two people that are very different stages in their life, and Paige going back to wrestle WWE schedule, being gone full-time, the fact that Del Rio's gone full-time, he essentially said that their breakup was mutual because they don't have the time to spend together, and Del Rio's not going... He said he's not going to fly to Florida when he only has one or two days a week to spend with his kids. So I don't know if this relationship is completely done, or maybe they'll reunite at some point in time. But as for now, there's several. There is a Del Rio shoot video out where he does an interview on why he broke up with Paige. In fact, I think in the interview he says that he didn't even want to bring it up and make it a thing because uh, Paige's debut just happened, and apparently she had posted something on Instagram that basically confirmed it. So he got asked about it and came out about it. But. Um, it's really it's it's a weird situation for both those guys. I think maybe the Orlando thing got blown up a little bit because it was out in a public place in the middle of an airport, um, based on both of what they've said um, on Twitter, where they basically both backed down. So I, I don't know if it was like a drunken exchange or or what, but good for them. I think it's good that they separate out. I think that she's probably too young to be in a relationship with someone that's forty has two kids, especially someone that's aspiring to still be a WWE top superstar. Uh, I know that he has really only said positive things about her return, which is good on Alberto Del Rio. Um, so hopefully they both, you know, move on from this and they, you know, go their separate ways and they're both successful. I mean, Alberto Del Rio is still doing a ton of stuff with AAA, uh, Mexico and Puerto Rico, as well as, I don't, is he still doing impact tapings? I think he is. I would have to. I haven't, I haven't watched Impact um, in a minute, but he was on there the last time I watched it. And I believe that he was on a, <laughs> a preview, I should say, for one of the newer episodes that I saw. So, you know, I think, like you said, this is good for both of them. I think Paige is a dominant force. I think we're going to get probably Oscar versus Paige at Mania, is what I'm assuming. Um, I'm not saying that she's going to beat Oscar. That's, that's another conversation for another day. But she is a very, very, she's good on the mic, good in ring performer. Her and Sasha's match for her return match was actually pretty damn good for a return match. Um, and Del Rio, like you said, AAA Impact, I mean, he's one of their top contenders for both those places. He's basically, like a lot of people don't realize, like 
he's how Bret Hart was in Canada, um, or Tanahashi was in Japan, or Hulk Hogan was in the U.S. over in Mexico. Like, he's their Hulk Hogan, if you will. So, AAA has been good to him. He's been good at AAA. I think that they, they handle this like adults, and that's the smartest way to handle it. And I think you're right. Whatever happened in Florida was, you know, alcohol, whatever related, anger-fueled. People witnessed it. Um, but I think cooler heads will prevail. And now Alberto can go back to talking shit about Triple H and not to worry about anything, like fucking up his wife's career. So now he can do drunken <laughs> rants again. Isn't that going to be awesome. awesome? I can't wait for this. <laughs> All right. right. Um, I will say one right. thing. Uh, part, part of the reason that Alberto Del Rio, and I think a lot of people forget about this, but his uncle was Mil Mascarin. So he will always be a legend in Mexico. Um, so <laughs> that's just something I wanted to point out because I think people forget. One of the reasons that WWE hired him to begin with it was to induct Mil Mascaris into the Hall of Fame. Um, and his father is Dos Caras. So he's from a big long line of wrestling lineage so it's not surprising at all that he is as good as he actually is and I'm glad that this is gone and that we can maybe just get some good ass Del Rio because God if anyone needs it right now it's, it's impact they I mean they really really need someone and hopefully with this off of their back they, he can work with Johnny Impact and Eli Drake and hopefully pull this thing out of the gutter well, let's go into this. Um, I'm actually going to let you have it. Uh, this is our second-to-last uh, topic. But there's been a lot of smart and new changes for Impact Wrestling that have been happening lately. Um, it sounds like the company is condensing. Uh, they're under new leadership, one of them being a guy we talked about earlier, Don Callis, is now one of the guys running Impact, which he has direct, um, you know, uh, he's, he works obviously with New Japan. So it seems, from what you were saying, Chris, and what I've heard from everyone, they're trying to be more of like a Ring of Honor, even NXT type of thing, where they're the smaller organization that works with these bigger organizations to produce a wrestler, you know, and they're trying to do uh, something that Matt Hardy actually has been able to pull from. Um, they're letting the IPs of the wrestlers remain with the wrestlers after they leave. Uh, so with Matt Hardy, even though they're doing the Woken thing, the reason why they're doing that, because Matt actually has rights to all the other stuff, and that's why he opened up Twitter for Senior Benjamin and a lot of the other things that he was doing beforehand. The Woken part's Vince. He wants his own concept of it and a new concept of it, but that's the reason why he was able to use that now suddenly is because it seems like Impact is being smarter and they're trying to condense his company instead of, you know, and I heard, that, I heard JR and Jeremy Borash actually talk about this not too long ago, trying to be the next guys to go against WWE, which is not going to happen ever for TNA Impact, whatever you call it, anymore. But, um, Chris, you seem to have a little more details about the situation, so why don't you fill me in on some of it? Well, basically, Dave Meltzer came out on the Wrestling Observer newsletter and said that uh, the way Impact is pushing themselves towards talent is that they're an intellectual property with TV time, and they're willing to provide freedom to the talent. Uh, which means that there will no longer be contracts or contracts that won't let you work in other places, uh, which makes sense because they tape once a week. Um, so you can have works things out with guys from Ring of Honor or from PWG um, or even CZW, I guess, depending on how deep you want to dig. But uh, essentially they put that forth. But the weird part was when they were saying, you know, the talent can use impact to help build their names 
so with TV, they'll build their name. Um, and they can also retain their intellectual property rights. And what I read that as is this Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy lawsuit has lost them some superstars um, to the sense of like, you know, not someone that's a big name and, and someone that we necessarily agree on, but like, you know, Joey Ryan was an impact and he was a pretty popular wrestler. If they wanted to bring someone like him in, he would, he's not going to go there and be on impact because they might have tried to retain it. Whether you think his gimmick is stupid or not, it's over, you know, for that particular yep. fan base. There, there's wrestlers like that. They're not going to want to go there and have to worry about whatever they do. They're losing it. And I think I, when the whole Matt and Jeff Hardy thing happened, I immediately said, this is just bad business because wrestlers aren't going to want to fucking develop themselves or come up with anything creative if you're going to try to own it. So I think that's a big part of why they came out and said that in particular. And uh, just shout out to the ride or die Bay, Rebby Hardy for holding it down. Cause I feel like that she opened up a promotion for wrestlers that, <laughs> that didn't want to go there to begin with. Um, the only thing I would say is that now that they've said this publicly, anyone who wants to wrestle there should get that in writing because this company has been so flip floppy in the past. This is what they want to accomplish and what they want to do. Um, man, I, I don't know if I would, if personally, if I was given the opportunity there as a wrestler, I don't know that I would want to go that route, but you know, it is a way to build your name. Um, it's a way to get TV time and it's a way to get a paycheck. And a lot of times that's, you know, more than other places can offer, uh, with the way the rest, the wrestling business is right now. Uh, you have ring honor, you have impact and you have WWE, and then you have, you know, lower, you have like Dragon Gate, PWG and. Uh, I guess CZW to some extent, but CZW is going to make you do some crazy shit. So, you know, at Evolve. your top tier is Impact and Ring of Honor. Evolve, you know, Dragon Gate and PWG, those are your stepping stones. And a lot of those guys have went up to WWE. And I, I think them doing the Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, and the way that they kind of screwed them, and the fact that Matt and Jeff are mostly beloved. I don't, I don't really – you don't hear a lot of people say negative things about them, even Sting – when he talks about that match with Jeff Hardy, where Jeff Hardy was drugged out, it's more from a solemn standpoint of he feels bad. He felt bad for him at that time period um, than people having ill will towards them. So I think, uh, uh, you know, the wrestling community in general kind of soured on TNA, especially knowing that, like, if you went there and you created, like, the next Stone Cold gimmick, they were going to tell you they owned it if you left. Like, that's not a good way to run your company. Like... <laughs> That's gonna that's gonna get you fucked pretty hard. That's like if Jerry the King Lawler couldn't use Jerry the King because he wrestled in Memphis for fifteen years. Even though it was like totally his creation. So yeah, I think them I mean, doing that opens up a lot of game. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. I was actually clearing my throat. For some reason I sound like Jenner Mahal tonight. My my throat's getting really dry. But um yeah. Uh you notice that he never was able to get over that? Like, what the hell was that? Was that his gimmick, or does he have, like, a, a, a like a, a sore throat every time he was about to do a promo? Anyways, I don't know. Um, getting back to this, I think this is a very smart thing for them to do. I think that they should look to be smaller. I mean, if you look at their fucking place, they're universal. They have this, this – I mean, it looks like a – like, I, I joke about this, but it looked like the set for Legend of the Hidden Temple, you know, with the, with a ring instead of, like, a temple in the middle of it. Uh, they have a set amount of audience, very much like NXT and Ring of Honor. They should just build it like that. And 
the fact that they're allowing talent to come in and come out, you know, I think this is very smart. I think they're realizing their place. And I think that Don Callis is going to bring a lot of good stuff over there. But then again, the same company uh, that has had such creative minds uh, like Bruce Pritchard, uh, like Jim Cornette, uh, like, you know, I mean, you can say what you want about Jeff Jarrett, but he's Jared Jarrett's son. So um, the fact that Dutch Mantel, you know, the, the fact that they've had this type of involvement in the past and still has not gotten, well, I'm not going to say it's not good. It just it lost my interest. Um, I tried for a while and I enjoyed it. And then it was like, People kept on leaving, and I was like, man, screw this. I'm just over it. Now, EC3 and Bobby Lashley are probably coming over to WWE. And uh, I, I heard that Lance Storm um, – wait, is it Lance Storm? Or no, 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 no. It's James Storm. Um, also might be coming to WWE. So they're losing a lot of their big guys. Uh, so maybe them sharing or building up this repertoire like they kind of have with uh, CML or, or AAA, I mean – uh, maybe they can kind of like build and maybe you'll see like Keith Lee come through there or, or, you know, I always said that the smaller companies, even including new Japan should all act like they are, you know, territories, if you will, to some extent and just trade talent. And for the most part, that's what a lot of them do. A lot of the smaller ones, ring of honor, PWG, um, a lot of the, the, the British ones, a lot of the Japanese ones, you'll see these talents all over the place that's the indie scene. So I think that if they open themselves out and try to, instead of trying to make them a closed organization that's trying to compete with the WWE, it's not going to happen. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's not going to happen, especially with these guys. So we'll see what happens. Do you have any uh, closing words before we go into our final topic, Chris? I mean, the only thing I would say is they've got to be stronger from a booking standpoint. Um, if you think about what New Japan's been able to accomplish in the last two or three years and the way they book, I think the only person that would kind of get them to where they need where they need to be would be like Gabe Zabolski. Um I like Don Callis and all, but they need someone that's going to book really good matches with the talent they have available. And I think he was able to do a really great job of that during his time in the ball. Um, and you know, the biggest problem is like every time they get something good, they get rid of it. Like the stuff that they were doing with uh, Jim Cornette, I thought was interesting, even though he wasn't involved in the booking, like him as a character was one of the most interesting things they had on TV. And I'm not even the biggest Jim Cornette fan in the world, but um, him as like a GM type thing, it really made, it, it, it was good. And then, you know, it lasted like three weeks and they gave up on it. But to me, if they're going to try to do the ring of honor thing and make this a straight wrestling show, they need to get some bookers from Ring of Honor or Dragon Gate or they need someone that has that mentality of like, hey, this is how much money we have and we got to fucking make this work, you know? Uh, and I don't know how they work that out, but I, that's my biggest worry about them is company that owns them, Anthem, doesn't really want to put any resources behind it at this point. I feel like that they're at the point where this – and they've kind of been at the them. point for a while where they kind of want to, you know, just cut their arm off and tie it up and let's, like, sear it because they're tired of bleeding from it, you know? Um, like, they got bit by a zombie and they got to cut their leg off. Uh, so I – You know – Coral. Wait, ma'am. Um, but, yeah, you know, I just – 
it's like when you think about years ago when they had the chance to hire Paul Heyman, um, or when they basically pushed Jeff Jarrett out. When and, and you mentioned Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, his time there was the most successful that TNA was. Like when you have Sabu versus Abyss, and you know uh, Ron Killings, who is our truth now, and you have uh, you know if you think about the talent they've lost, like Austin Creed, Jay Lethal, like Loki. Homicide. Even in the past, even though Loki did come back, like AJ Styles, they lost all these guys. They lost guys that are huge stars in other places. Like specifically AJ Styles. Um, because they wanted to do stupid shit. And, you know, you can defend TNA until the fucking cows come home, but when you look at the history of what TNA accomplished and the talent yeah, that Corey. passed through there and how much they could have done. It's pretty awful. And, you know, you can blame it on funding, you can blame it on whatever, but it's still bad. (laughs) Like, the outlook's still bad. I mean, there's a lot of good things about Georgia Championship Wrestling, but it's still sunk at the very end. (laughs) Like, you you know, that's that's all I I wanted to get that out there. But you know why I think that didn't work out with AJ? That's where you go with why why, Dane? They don't want none. They don't want none. <laughs> they must be scared. Now they don't. They don't want none. Uh, yeah, I I agree. And uh, you know what, Jeremy Borash, uh, call up Mr. Bill Watts and see what his 78 year old ass is doing. Maybe he can come help you out a little bit. Um, but I think. But then again, I've said this a million times. I think this is a step in the right direction for uh, for the. I don't know. I have no idea. I feel bad for their talent. And it's not just the wrestlers, uh, the guys involved. Like, I like, I like Bruce Pritchard having some involvement in creative wrestling to some extent. I like Jerry Borash as a, uh, whatchamacallit, an announcer. Like, you know, I, it's not saying that these guys can't have careers outside of this, but they put a lot of work. I would like to see it keep up. I want wrestling. I want more wrestling. I don't want less wrestling. I want competition. I want different forms of wrestling. I love being able to watch a progress, you know, a pay-per-view and know that they have the worst camera quality ever, but there's some badass, uh, you know, matches going on. And then switch to WWE, which is cinem- cinematically amazing, but has, like, soap opera shit going on. Then go to New Japan, you know? That's how it is. But we have one more thing to talk about. Not really a positive thing at all. Um, you know, not a positive thing at all, period. Um, a wrestler that I don't think that me or Chris... I don't know. I, I don't know about Chris. I don't want to just judge it, but like, have not been too keen on. I'm not the biggest Sheamus fan, um, but I don't want to hear about anyone suffering from uh, spinal stenosis for the last six months of their career, uh, knowing that that means that basically they need to stop taking so many bumps, or they're done. Um, uh, and that wrestlers in the past had their careers shortened, uh, like Edge and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, like, a lot of people don't realize, yeah, Stone Cold had a great run, probably one of the greatest runs of all time. But he could have had quite a few more matches if it wasn't for, you know, the the uh, pile driver uh, received from Owen Hart that gave him spinal stenosis. He had to come up with a new brawling uh, style of wrestling because of that, uh, because he couldn't do his technical style that much anymore. Uh, Edge, one of the biggest stars, uh, say what you will about, 
you know, his in-ring performance. I think he's one of the best in-ring performers. I know a lot of people are flip-flopped on that whole concept. But I love Edge. Same thing. Even though he had a great run, it was cut short because of this. Um, even though I'm not the biggest Sheamus fan, and yes, he's, he's been a champion, um, I don't want this to happen to any wrestler. You know, Sheamus has a purpose in WWE. He's had a great tag team uh, with, with Cesaro that's helped Cesaro a lot, I think, and brought, given them both relevance. Um, yeah, he's got like a, uh, a JBL or a, uh, what's his name, um, where he's basically someone that, that's really stiff and big and powerful. Um, but maybe a Billy Graham, if you will, like that arrogance, big muscular dude. But he's still a, a, a wrestler, and, you know, he works with all these guys. All of them are connected. And it just it sucks uh, for stuff like this. But then again, you know, and I'll pass to you on this note, Chris, Monday Night Raw, if he has spinal stenosis, why is he doing a lift, um, a lift uh, submission where he has uh, the legs of Seth Rollins, you know, and he's stretching him using his back for support, he did one other thing, and then took not only a uh, what you call it a uh, superplex off the top ropes, followed by a Falcon's arrow directly both on his spine. <sighs> I don't get the wrestler mentality of like, let's go until we don't have anything left. You think that he want to stretch it out? Uh, how do you feel about Sheamus uh, telling us that he's been suffering from spinal stenosis for the last six months? You know, I've said negative things about Sheamus and how there's certain things he does that are really stiff that don't need to be stiff, uh, specifically knocking Jeff, te- Jeff Hardy's teeth out. He's had several incidents where he's hurt other people, but that doesn't mean that I don't feel bad for him. Uh, anyone with spinal stenosis, it's a big deal. Now, why he's going all out, we don't know that he's not going to be done six months from now. So this might be his last run, and he might be trying to get the best matches he can out of it. And I think he steps up to the plate with certain, um, certain wrestlers. I think that, uh, you know, the matches he had with Matt and Jeff, him and Cesaro, they, I think they did their best to try to make that the best match on the show. Um, and he's a big-ass dude. It doesn't take much to go overboard. Uh, and knowing that he might be in that kind of pain and has kind of been in that kind of pain for a long time, that might be why he wrestles as stiff as he does. Uh, what I will say is Seamus was hurt by the fact that he – you know, beat Daniel Bryan in seven seconds at WrestleMania. I think that soured a lot of fans on him. Uh, that's just that was a bad booking decision. Thought Sheamus was a bad wrestler or a bad personality. I think they could have done a lot with him. I think they put him in a lot of really bad gimmicks. And I think the work that he's done with Cesaro as a tag team has been really has really shown that both of those guys are great and could be way more than they are. Um, it's unfortunate and it's scary to think about because you lost. You know, you've lost people like Edge and Stone Cold and similar things. And to be fair, Stone Cold was not wrestling on as a consistent basis after his spinal stenosis as, uh, say, Sheamus, who's wrestling every Monday almost. Uh, so it's it's weird. Uh, he's not really said that he's going to retire, but the fact that, that diagnosis is out there might mean that he's feeling it out. Um, but then again, you know, if he, if, he, if, he gets, if he gets ahead of it, 
and he doesn't go the edge route where he just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going until there's nothing left, he could still be a guy that comes back part-time. I think you could get a pop for Sheamus in a Royal Rumble or a random Survivor Series. And there's ways to rehab that stuff and, and do all sorts of different things. Um, it is scary to see him take you know those moves, but at the same point, when you're a performer, you want to do the very best you can do. Uh, any athlete, any any like whether you're a theater kid that has a sore throat or you're a football player that has like a hurt knee, you're gonna still try your very very best. And I think that he is going all out and trying his best to perform. And it's it's courageous, but at the same time, it's when you've seen so many people go down with neck injuries and stuff, it is a scary thing. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, kind of want, if he does end up retiring after WrestleMania or down the line, I kind of want to know where this leaves Cesaro and what they actually think of Cesaro, um, whether they throw him back in a tag team or if they actually give him a push. And I know that's a bad thing to say, but you know, Claudio Castagnolia was a fucking great character, great in-ring performer, um, held the title in PWG and Dragon Gate, I believe. I think that he could have been a big star, and they kind of missed the boat on him. And there would be a good way to get him a push out of this, uh, because they're going to, you know, if you kind of build up that he's retiring in a similar way of what they did with Ric Flair, uh, with the things that are going on with Sheamus, I think you can get a good baby face tag team push out of those guys. Because I think a lot of people like their tag team. And a lot of people like the individual wrestlers. And I think there's a way where you can turn a positive into a negative. I just hope that they don't have him doing too much. Um, so sending warm vibes to Seamus um, and his family, of course. But that's kind of how I feel on it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, anything fans – there are a lot of fans of, of Seamus. I, I will admit that. I mean – for someone like Jawan, who's been watching from a different time period than me and you, you know, Sheamus was a wrestler that was the babyface at one time, and he did enjoy. And you know, I'm sure I don't, I don't know because I haven't seen. But I mean, he always gets compared to the Ultimate Warrior. I've never seen him act not arrogant and act like a babyface. So I've never seen that personally. But I'm sure it was there, and I'm sure that people have seen him and grown up with him. So my hats off to you, Sheamus. I think that. They probably, you know, if this is going to course out, we'll probably have a baby face run, and that might, you know, he might, or maybe he'll have a, one last feud with Cesaro and put Cesaro over. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, like you said, what were you going to say? Well, originally, like, the main comparison that gets drawn to Sheamus when he first came out and became champion was Triple H, like, immediately. Um, the physique, the way he wrestles in the ring, it was a very much a Triple H presentation of wrestling to the point where people would be like, oh, he's Triple H's guy. Um, and the reason a lot of fans soured on him, whether they want to uh, acknowledge it or not, one reason I soured on him is they pushed him over Daniel Bryan when Daniel Bryan's manager was AJ Lee, and they had him beat Daniel Bryan for the championship in like seven seconds, and then they tried to call it a world record. Yeah. And then they did absolute dick with him. Um, so... That whether they want to believe that fans actually care about that shit, it does stick with you. But that doesn't mean that I think Seamus is a bad performer or, or anything, but he's never going to make any of my like top 25 lists of turnout. No. And, 
I think that you'll agree with me on this, is that Sheamus will probably end up in the Hall of Fame. It will be a while, but I don't doubt that he's going to eventually be a, you know, a WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, he's definitely made his mark is what I was trying to say. And with what you were saying with the whole Cesaro thing, I think that if anything, and Sheamus probably would want, there would be whether, like I said, it'd be them having a great babyface tag team run or something happens, the two of them go at it, and then he puts Cesaro over. You know, Cesaro could I, – I think that he'd want Cesaro to bounce off of this in a positive way. And, God, he's a wrestler that I think the WWE definitely sits on. Up there with Sami Zayn, honestly. Um, get rid of this whole entire – you know, it, it, was fu- it was cute and funny that he would wear the mouth guard, but now that it's been fixed, can he just, like, talk normally? Like, Cesaro's a very charismatic individual – he can do his thing. Uh, guy is a monster in the ring. We'll talk about one of his matches very soon, actually. So that, that'll be a little prelude. But uh, we need to go over the Clash of Champions this weekend, Chris. So let's go over the matches on the bill. Now, this is subject to change, of course. But as of right now, our opening match on the pre-show is Mojo Raleigh versus Zack Ryder. I mean, there's been no development for this feud at all. Uh, Raleigh turned on Ryder, I think, three weeks ago and has said less than four sentences since then. Uh, Ryder has not been seen. Neither was on the go-home edition of SmackDown, but somehow they're a pre-show match. I see Mojo going over Zach. Um, Probably, he'll probably beat the crap out of him if they're trying to build Mojo. I don't understand why they're trying to do him as a... Like, it should have been Zach Ryder as the heel. Like, Mojo should have been the babyface. He's got a lot of personality. You guys were going for that, and then decided to completely 180 it out of nowhere, um, and I, you know, I don't think he's the best guy in the ring, but he was very natural on the mic. He had a lot of charisma. Whatever, do your thing, WWE. Chris, who do you think is going to win, and do you even care about this match? I think Mojo Rawley's going to win because I think Zack Ryder might be out um, soon of WWE, and I've said that for a long time, and people have been like, yeah, but he's like never actually out, but... Um, He's is he currently dating the girl that does the crazy makeup on TNA? I cannot think of her name to save my life. Uh, God, what is her name? Let me pull up Zach Mary, uh, the girl with the crazy makeup. Are you talking about Rosemary? Not Rosemary. Uh, the other girl that wears like the weird wedding dress, white dress. Uh, fuck, what is her name? God, Von God, S, I never think or, of uh, Laura Von S. I think maybe. Yeah, yes, yes. So apparently they're dating. Um, so I could see something where he ends up going to TNA. Um, I don't think they have much for him to do in WWE. Yes, it's uh, Laurel Van Ness. Uh, I can easily see him ending up in TNA to spend more time with her. And also I think that he'll get a bigger push there um, and probably be able to do more with his character. So I, I don't see them... I, I, Mojo Raleigh's going to win, and they're going to have him be like a bully sports guy as like a heel. Um, probably like a mid-card heel, uh, especially because they're trying to elevate Baron Corbin. So that's that's kind of where I see Zack Ryder ending up. I, I don't know that he wants to spend more time in WWE, but if I was him, I'd be... He's made money. He's probably looking for a way out, so I think that's probably where they're going to go with this. I think his contract's up at the end, end of the year after WrestleMania his contract's up, so you could be seeing him leave. If he had his time to shine, I think me and you both 
thought it would have been after he got the IC title, and then he lost on Raw to The Miz the next night. I like Zack Ryder. Uh, maybe he'll uh, form a faction with Dolph Ziggler and a couple other people and call it underrated. I don't know. Um, you might see him in the future, but I, I, if that happens, I hope to see Zack. You know, it could be an impact. He'll probably get a bigger push. Um, but when it comes to this whole entire thing, meh, whatever. Let's move on to the next match. How about that? All right. We got the Bludgeon Brothers versus Brazongo. Um, last match added to the card. This is an opportunity, I think, for the Bludgeon Brothers to actually have a real match, unlike their, their shit that they've had beforehand. They're going over, though. There's no way. I don't think they're going to squash Brazongo because of the buildup of the fashion files being involved, but they're definitely going over. Um, and honestly, i got to say, I actually am starting to buy the Bludgeon Brothers. Um, I think it's very similar to War Machine or uh, I forgot the NXT team. Uh, not heavy machinery. I can't stand them. Um, Powers of Pain or whatever. You know, they're just two big guys that beat the crap out of everyone. And I love Luke Harper. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be a mark for him, probably for a while. Because um, I was, because I was around with this wrestler during a time period where I think he should have got pushed, and he didn't. So I hope for anything that he's involved in. But I love Brazongo. I think it's stupid they're moving the fashion files because they get a big pop even with the audience at the venues. But now apparently they're doing it online. I guess WWE is trying to bring people to their Facebook page or, or, or uh, their website, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, Bludgeon Brothers over Brazongo. Do you see it any other way? So, I mean, this is basically going to be a squash match, I would assume, uh, because you have to build the Bludgeon Brothers up for the Usos. I, I really honestly think, you know, that's your next feud. Um, and then possibly you could push Chad and uh, Shelton out of that to go after them in some way. Uh, and then you get you can reunite, you know, Usos with a New Day again outside of that as far as the tag team division is concerned. But I think, you know, Bludgeon Brothers are going to smash Brazongo and then probably go through the New Day and Chad uh, and, and uh, you know, Gable and Benjamin and then straight to the Usos. That would be my guess. Or they're going to do a four-way match to build up the next pay-per-view. And how fast did they book these matches? It, it, it doesn't really show... Um, the dominance, at least for tag teams, and the way that they really try to get across. Um, but, man, SmackDown has the best tag team division right now. It's kind of nuts, the guys that they have there. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, I think Bludgeon Brothers murder Brazongo and then move on to do something more. This is just basically a filler match. I do think it's silly they're moving the fashion files. If this was on Raw and they were moving it, I'd be more upset, but SmackDown's only two hours and they really only get like an hour and 20 minutes. So they have to squeeze in a lot of shit and sometimes you don't even see like Adolf Ziggler, you know, like on TV. So I understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I don't I, I... I don't necessarily – I don't think it's going to be a squash match like what they've been building up the last couple of weeks. I think that they'll actually show off a little bit of wrestling, more so than the random guys they've been handed uh, since they start as the Bludgeon Brothers. But, I mean, this is honestly the – supposed to be the ending to the big Fashion Files uh, thing. But then again, second rating it. But, yeah, to agree with what you're saying and to go into the Tag Team Championship, when your worst tag teams – Technically, are Rusev and Native English and Brazongo, you have a pretty damn good division, I would say. 
so the tag team championship, the Usos versus Chadwell and Shelton Benjamin versus the New Day and versus uh, Rusev and Aiden English in a four-way tag. Um, I don't, I don't really know. I, I, I assume it's going to go back to the Usos, but I feel like this could be a good place to put Chad, uh, you know, Gable and Benjamin, have them win the belts, so the New Day could take the belts from them eventually, and then maybe ultimately have the Usos versus the New Day at Mania. I don't know if they're booking that far in advance. I doubt they are, but. I'm going to have to go with the Usos, but I think that there could be a strong chance that Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin could end up winning. What do you think? I think Smart Money says Usos, and the reason being is I think you should get this so the Usos get really close to what New Day was able to do with their title. Because I think that makes for a very compelling storyline, and that's the way I would book it. But realistically, probably... All three of these tag teams get screwed, and Rusev and Aiden English end up winning the titles against the New Day. They somehow pin someone from the New Day. <laughs> so, hey, if Aiden English sings uh, Rusev Day afterwards, I'm gonna laugh my ass I'm, off. So. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Rusev and Aiden English win this match just because I know WWE won't do what I actually think is a good idea. Do you think that'll be funny? Do you think that, like, if, if Aiden English wins the tag titles and it wasn't with Frank Gotch or whatever the hell, uh, like, do you think he'll be like, huh, did not see this happening with Rusev? I think the other guy will probably be really upset, but that's all right. You know, shit happens. Aiden English can sing his ass off, okay? He fucking deserves his people. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, wait, way better singer than that guy on Raw. <laughs> oh, you, you know, <laughs> El, El Dagabondo. Why didn't they have Old Bobby Bondo versus Aiden English at, at for the pre-show at Survivor Series? That seems like the match that should have happened. All right. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't just turn fucking the Drifter into Old Bobby Bondo and have him do a loose story gimmick. It'd be fucking hilarious, and people would love that shit. He did it on NXT. Give him time. Pop so hard. Yeah, they need to Give go back time, to the Old Bobby Bondo gimmick. It's it's the best. It's really great. He's gonna he, he's gonna dress up like that and come out and do like a Hotel California parody. It'll be great. Spanish <laughs> sounding as shit. All right, so we got the U.S. Championship: Baron Corbin versus Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler. Uh, I this is actually pretty hard. I think Dolph Ziggler is taking the pin regardless. I unfortunately think that that's why he's there. Um, so this could be Bobby Roode winning the title but I'm going to go with Baron Corbin retaining the title as who I think would actually be the winner. What do you think? I think Baron Corbin retains the title after pinning Dolph Ziggler. Probably Bobby Roode hits, you know, his DDT and kind of does the glorious gimmick, and then he just gets fucking deep-sixed or something, and Baron Corbin hits Dolph. That's that's that's. how I would book it, just because Baron just got the title and they haven't done enough with it, and also Bobby Roode doesn't really need to be in this mid-card picture. I feel like they think money is going to be Bobby Roode versus AJ Styles, which is smart. Uh, so I, you know, I could see him having a feud with Nakamura and kind of going slightly more heel or something. Or at least that's how I would book it, but they'll probably do the exact opposite, and Bobby Roode will win, and then Baron Corbin will feud with Dolph Ziggler and they'll there. But I'm assuming Baron Corbin's retained here. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
I think it's going to be very similar to what happened to Cedric Alexander like 50 million times. Like he's going to get, he's going to do his moves at DDT, then Baron Corbin's going to run in, push him out of the ring, get the roll up real quick from Dolph Ziggler. One, two, three, Baron Corbin retains the title. Dolph gets closer to getting the fuck out of WWE. And we have a Bobby Roode, Baron Corbin thing to set up for later on. Hey guys, WWE, can you do me a fucking favor? Quit making Bobby Roode wear his robe everywhere. Who the fuck wears a robe to be an announcer or in the back? Like, just make put him in a suit. Like, I don't. Ugh, God, this is a situation. I think where they're it's like, trying. They're trying to differentiate him from Ric Flair because Ric Flair used to always do that. He would have the suit on when he came in the ring. He had the robe on. But it's also really dumb to just wear a robe everywhere. <laughs> So it doesn't make any sense, and it's heavy. That has to be heavy as shit. It would it I would be great that. if they brought up like if they just literally had one of their, you know, what what is her name? Uh, God, she dates Dean Ambrose. Oh, uh, Renee. If they had Renee Mary. Young, uh, yeah, if Renee Young brought it up, she's like, "Why are you always wearing a robe?" And he just like gets quiet, and walks away. Then at least it would be something weird and funny about his character. You know, but like I'm just, just randomly having him wear a robe, I I agree. Like all it takes is like one little line like that, where it's like, oh okay, it's just part of his character. He's just weird. But to like it's, not ever address it, I swear it to is, God, Chris, awkward. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking that 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 Vince thought the glorious, the music, like was the thing that was over, and it's Bobby Roode made that whole entire gimmick over. That's the difference, I think, between the two of them. I saw Faith. Bobby Roode still used pretty high. I think he is going to end up getting the U.S. title, which is a stepping stone. So I don't think we're screwed at all. I just – he was such a perfect heel. It had such a great combination of Rick Roode, Triple H, uh, Rick Flair, all embedded into one original character. You said Teddy, Teddy Biasi, throw him in there a little bit. And they babyface him because of the fucking song. It's like he can be – you can have Ric Flair was one of the biggest heels of all time. People loved him. Sometimes, no matter what, even if he acted like a jerk to all the crowd, they still. I mean, look at Kevin Owens. A lot of wrestlers have that quality. It's okay. I, I they're they push too much for the babyface concept for me personally. But <clears throat> either way, well, I mean, the other thing is they. Really, I, I think the big issue is that they needed a babyface. Like when you look at this, when you look at the SmackDown roster, top to bottom, Jinder Mahal's a heel. Randy Orton is a tweener. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn are heels. Dolph Ziggler's a heel. Baron Corbin's a heel. Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin are heels. The Bludgeon Brothers are technically heels. Mojo Rawley's a heel. So when you look at this roster for SmackDown, they got like one face. They have AJ Styles. That's it. So and I guess well, they have you know Nakamura. Why? You know why? Because they don't want none. They don't want none. <laughs> they must be scared. No, they don't. They don't want. Anyways, all right. At, uh, at some point, at some point, they should just make everyone heels, and they all come after AJ Styles. That should be fucking hilarious. I'm down. <laughs> like I'm down. Every single competitor is a heel except for AJ Styles. No, that's terrible. Don't do that. But you get I what I'm that. saying. It's like they. Do. I mean, they put. They put Bobby Roode there because they need a United States guy that's going to be there consistently. It's a waste of Bobby Roode. He's from Canada. He's, I mean, hopefully after this Jinder Mahal match, him and Bobby Roode shift. 
uh, where Bobby Roode so. is higher on the card, and Bobby Roode starts becoming a heel, specifically against AJ Styles. That would be I the way Ginger's I would do it. Ginger's going to make my list. Probably not. All right, uh, women's championship match, Chris. Charlotte Flair versus Natalia in a lumberjack match. Uh, as expected, I, Natalia got a rematch, but it only became a lumberjack match with these two groups of women, one led by Ruby Riot and the rest of the women's division. Uh, or I forgot what Natalia's group called because it was that shitty. Uh, but all that will be around the ring, and they're doing a lumberjack match. I, I feel like Charlotte's going to go over, unless Ruby screws her over, how do you see it happening? Woo! Well, I feel like I feel like you have to put Charlotte over here because you're setting up a title match between her and Ruby Riot. So, I mean, Ruby Riot versus Natalia is not a draw. It's you know Charlotte versus Ruby. You're trying to get Ruby the biggest push. If you want to take the title off Charlotte, just give it to Ruby Riot. It doesn't make sense to put it back on Natalia. Um, I assume Natalia gets screwed by the lumberjack situation or something like maybe they look like she has a chance of winning and Charlotte gets the, uh, maybe they hate cats. I don't know. They hate cats. I love them to tell you. Uh, I, I, I assume there's going to be a figure eight finish, which by the way, what the fuck is a figure? Like, don't, I hate the figure eight. It's just a figure four. Just call it an elevated figure four. Like fuck. No. Or a bridge. But it's just a figure four. It'd be even more. It'd be better if she just won with the figure four. I fucking. I have always hated that name. I like her other finisher though uh, a lot, which she doesn't natural, get uh, of it. Natural selection, which is a dope fucking yeah. name. Which is what she should have just called her elevated figure four, <laughs> and not her. That's honestly move that never that gets like a three count. Mc, that sounds like a Vince McMahon idea. We're gonna call it the figure eight. Like, do you mean like in <laughs> ice skating? No, 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 like the figure. Yeah. The, the four um, makes sense because you, there's four legs involved, but, like, elevating it doesn't make it a figure eight unless the other person elevates at the same time, and then there's, it's really a figure six. So maybe they should call it the skating. Xbox 360. It's called the <laughs> Xbox 360. All right. Uh, <laughs> WWE Championship, AJ Styles, Jinder Mahal, probably the best match of all time. Uh, this is basically Ginger's uh, rematch after Styles took the title off him at a Survivor Series. Yeah, uh, they, we don't know if there's any stipulations for this match. I'm pretty sure it's a straightforward match. Um, Sting Brothers will probably be there. If if after he loses in fucking India to Triple H, if AJ loses the belt, I'm not watching the last match. I'm not even going to get that fucking far. I'm done with the pay-per-view. I will just be in complete awe. AJ's got to win this. I hope he actually does give Jinder a good match to send off on, but boy and boy, fucking Aj. What do you think, Chris? I feel like AJ wins the match. Um, what I will say is I think this might be this might end up being the match of the night. Uh, surprisingly, I know that sounds crazy, but I feel like AJ Styles and Jinder had a really good first match, and I feel like if Jinder isn't going to win the title here, he just lost to Triple H, I think he's going to do his very, very best to make this a very good match. So hopefully, without all the outside interference, because the uh, Bollywood boys won't be there, right? It's just Jinder and AJ Styles. 
I think these two could have a good match. I mean, think about the match that he pulled out of Shane McMahon, and Jinder Mahal is a better wrestler than Shane McMahon. So I think this will probably end up being the match tonight. I think it will surprise a lot of people, and hopefully it elevates Jinder to someone, you know, more of the technical wrestling fans can enjoy a little bit more. And they push him down to Bobby Roode's spot, and they move Bobby Roode up to where his spot is currently. Uh, But I don't see them taking the title off AJ Styles. I think AJ Styles runs with that fucking thing, at least until Elimination Chamber. Um, Because I just don't see anyone that's on his level. Like, he carries that show. Like, it's good to have people for him to go against and stuff, but, like, you're just tuning in to see good AJ Styles matches, and you don't want to see him drop the title to someone that's not worthy of it. I think if you built, like, Kevin Owens up and Sami Zayn up and Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles, you have a title match, then you can talk about, like, maybe moving the title, but... AJ Styles versus Jinder Mahal without the Bollywood boys, AJ Styles should match. I agree. That was a good uh, analysis of it, buddy. Um, but I do agree with you. Uh, yeah, I think Jinder's going to look strong, uh, but AJ's going to win. And like I said, if it doesn't happen, I'm probably going to punch my uh, TV screen. All right, last match of the evening Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Versus Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura. Commissioner Shane McMahon and general manager Dan O'Brien will serve as special guest referees um, as the WWE careers of Owens and Zayn are both on the line in this match. Well, um, well, I guess they could do a storyline where Owens and Zayn loses and they end up on Raw, or they come back with some bullshit stipulation. But more than likely, and who I think is going to win is going to be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, That's not the big concept in all this. Is Daniel Bryan going to take a bump? Um, Even if he doesn't take a bump, is there going to be some bad interaction between him and Shane? Shane gets knocked out of, they have some type of confrontation later. Shane gets knocked out from something. Then Daniel has to pin Sami or Kevin. Or is this all a plan all along and Daniel Bryan's going to screw over everyone and join the two of them as some type of heel faction within the whole entire scheme of things? There's a lot of cool ways they can go about it. But what's probably going to happen is what I just said. There'll be like some type of confrontation between Daniel and Shane that will butt throughout the whole entire thing. Um, they might have like a little bit of like a pushing contest. It will go absolutely nowhere. Shane will get knocked out. Randy or Shinsuke will be screwed over, but maybe maybe Daniel won't see it, but he'll then pin the person, and everything will make Daniel look like the bad guy, while Owens and Sami Zayn get out scot-free winning the match. That's my prediction. What do you think, Chris? My prediction is you're going to have a ref take a haluva kick, whether it be Daniel Bryan or Shane McMahon. One of those guys are taking a hell of a kick. And then... Whatever happens, Randy Orton is going to get pissed off and RKO the other ref and then just leave the match because he's Randy fucking Orton. So that's my guess on what's going to happen, and the only loser here is going to be Nakamura. Randy Orton is not a good tag partner consistently. If you look throughout the period of time in which people have asked Randy Orton to do stuff for them, it does not work out well, and it's a perfect time to switch Randy Orton back into heel mode instead of this weird tweener thing. And unless Randy Orton's taking a long break, which this could be something like where, Randy Orton, you're fired because you just looked at Nakamura. They could go that route, too. I kind of see Randy Orton just giving everyone, like, a fucking RKO and leaving. 
and then Nakamura getting fucked. Uh, but you're definitely going to have, like, the Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan tension. That's what they're building for, but I think the swerve is Randy Orton RKO. And then leave. All right. Well, those are our predictions. Uh, we got 30 minutes left. Let's go over on SmackDown. All right. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a couple segments like we normally do, and then you can tell me what you thought about them. I'll tell you, and then we'll go back and forth like we usually do. Chauvin with Mojo. Uh, man, I... I'm, I'm reading my notes, and as I'm reading them, Samojo's so fucking good. My God, the guy could read the Bible and make it sound intimidating. Well, I guess if you're in certain parts of Revelations, it would be. It doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is the guy is just just like butter. It just melts. Uh, the show opened with Samojo uh, goading Roman Reigns into a fight uh, with the bar, laying and waiting, basically. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose got Roman. Roman says, I got this, guys. Goes out to the ring. Three, jump him. Uh, then all hell broke loose. Um, followed after that, we had Absolution coming out, and uh, they went against Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Mickey James. Um, I, I think it's ridiculous that Paige, by the way, is awesome. I, I've never really gotten uh, you know known Paige as an in-ring performer, um, but not only do I like her her, her uh, wrestling skills, but I like her mic skills a lot too. A lot of charisma. Mandy Rose. Not so much. And I feel bad for, I guess, who's supposed to be their, their tough guy. I mean, uh, I don't know why they're doing this. I guess that's the reason why Shanna Baszler's now coming in NXT. That's why they got rid of her. Um, I can't think of her name, actually, for the life of me. But um, for some reason, Mandy Rose can be boring as shit on the mic. But since she looks like a million bucks, no one what's her. When they go to the third chick that's part of Absolution, that's like more the MMA fighter, she could be like a female Kent Shamrock if they wanted to. I think that that's what they might be going for with her. But they just the audience does not like her, and I think she's better on the uh, the mic than uh, the other girl. But whatever, that's semantics. What I'm trying to say is uh, Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Mickey James all lost. Uh, Paige super kicked James, allowing Mandy Rose to pin her to win the match. After that, actually, let, we'll, we'll separate that concept. Uh, how'd you like the opening part with Samoa Joe and the uh, three on three tag match? Samoa Joe just continually shows that he should be the champion. To me, I think he carries himself like the perfect heel champion. I think he's actually the guy that should take the title off Brock Lesnar. I thought that when they booked him originally. If you weren't going to give it to Braun, I thought Samoa Joe was the perfect choice. I think he's the really the only viable threat that fans aren't going to rage against at WrestleMania. Because um, I don't think people are even... No matter how hard you push the shield, I don't think that people are going to be stoked on a Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I think it made Samoa Joe look strong, and I had no problems with it overall. I mean, Samoa Joe is fucking – he's been a boss for a long time. So I'm not – it's like AJ Styles being good. It's kind of just expected. Like, when I hear Samoa Joe's name, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be fucking good. Like, it's Samoa Joe. Uh, how'd you feel about the women's match after? Uh, the match was, itself was fine. I think it did a good job of furthering Paige's Absolution crew. But other than that, there wasn't anything great really to talk about. I think the fans need to stop them. being so... Sh- I, I think the fans need to stop being so shitty to characters that they don't know. But Absolution is supposed to be a heel group, which was... It's really weird that they just immediately thrusted Paige into that because I think Paige in a sense, is beloved by the fans. 
so it was weird that she came back kind of as a heel or an outsider type group. With Ruby Riot, it makes a little more sense because she's kind of a new character. But with Paige, you kind of wanted to see her get like the warm welcome. That's kind of how I felt about that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, let's talk about this next thing real briefly. Um, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt uh, try to outlap each other. Uh, the video package last time was awesome. I thought it was a great way to show Woken Matt Hardy. Uh, and the back and forth was good because Bray Wyatt didn't know that Matt Hardy was overlapping him. He thought he was just doing his thing, and Hardy kept on cutting in with his Woken concept. What the f- fuck was that like little image the the broken thing i think that ruined it partially i think that they shouldn't have done this exact same thing over again maybe i'm being way too overcritical about it but also bray should be somewhat aware that matt was intervening with his or with his uh promo the week before like i don't understand why they didn't take this to the ring where bray comes out or they have matt finally come out to the ring for the first time and give a real promo inside the ring and some of the, the tweaks that they added, I think, actually took away from the dynamic itself. Um, so I'm kind of worried now, more so than ever, about this feud. I know that neither of us really wanted to see it with Bray Wyatt, but I was really happy of how they pulled it off last week. But as compared to this week, not so much anymore. How did you feel, and am I being too critical on it? No, you're not being too critical on it. And the way that I would compare this is like, all right, so you really love a weird B-movie that's very cheaply made, right? And then WWE the makes the... So you like The Room, right? Did you like See No Evil by WWE? Yeah. <laughs> With Kane? <laughs> that's, oh, that's, how I feel about Matt. that's how I feel about Matt Hardy. He needs more creative control. They need to film it a little more shitty, and they need to not have him against Bray Wyatt. But the Bray Wyatt thing is already happening, so there's nothing I can do about that. What I will say is whoever is, like, filming this shit needs to look less at, like, Hollywood movies and look more at, like, the original I spit on your grave. And that's why it works so well in TNA. It was so janky, and there were so many weird characters. It's the whole thing that I thought they wouldn't be able to pull off, and then last week, I thought they did a really good job of it. I was like, okay, all right. Um, and then the promos he posted on Twitter, I was like, okay, maybe they're going all in on this. And then this week, it was more of the Bray Wyatt bullshit. I swear to God, he's like a cancer for other people's gimmicks at this point. I I feel like if you would have put, like I said two weeks ago, Matt Hardy versus The Miztourage, I think it would have been a lot better. could have happened. And you would have had better mic interaction between the two. It's not that Bray's not good on the mic. It's not that he's not good in the ring. I just think people negatively associate him with that Finn Balor storyline. And it's too soon to come back from him being a cross, basically a cross-dresser <laughs> straight into a Matt Hardy feud. It's just a bad idea. So what you're saying is Tommy Wiseau needs to direct all the uh, upcoming broken scenes since Jeremy Borash cannot work with the WWE. I think that's a good idea. You're breaking my heart. Sorry, guys. Uh, if, you, if, if you haven't seen The Room, go check that fucking shit pile out. And then see Disaster Artist, which is probably going to get an Oscar this year in some way for, for actors. It doesn't matter. This is not that show. Let's keep on going. Finn Balor defeated Curtis Axel. Balor uh, pinned Axel after a coup de grace. He beat, um, I'm assuming this is going to like lead up with him in The Miz for something, I guess. 
I don't really know. But, yeah, he beat Bo Dallas last week. And uh, this basically means they have nothing for Finn Balor to do right now. Then we had, finally, uh, this first out of these three matches between Shield members and uh, the other guys, if you will. Seth Rollins defeated Sheamus. Rollins won the match with a super kick uh, and a knee to the face. I do like that little combination he does. I wish it was like that in WWE 2K, but what are you going to do? Um, but uh, what, these two matches for me, Finn Balor defeating Curtis Axel, I like that they're making Curtis Axel relevant, just like Bo Dallas, but I feel like, God, those guys are really sad on as far as like giving – I mean, he, he gave a great performance with Finn Balor. I, well, not a great one, but – I think they could do more with them, but, you know, what they're doing with them is fine. I definitely wish that Finn Balor was in a bigger program. Like going against some guy like Brock Lesnar, maybe for the title over at Royal Rumble, like originally it was supposed to happen, and now we're doing three monsters because that's how Vince thinks. Sorry. Anyways, um, I already gave my opinion on the Sheamus-Seth Rollins. I thought it was a good match. I just think that Sheamus did some stuff in it that wasn't the smartest based on his condition. His condition. Uh, But, Chris, what did you think about these two? Uh, what was it the first? What, run the first batch by me again, because I think I got them out of order. Finn Balor defeated Curtis Axel. Okay, so my problem with this is this meant more when Miz had the title, because now it's just him beating a jobber team, essentially. Well, not a jobber team. He's beating a jobber team, and then he's gonna go against Miz and beat Miz. But I don't think it does anything for Finn Balor, and it definitely doesn't do anything for the Miz. Unless the Miz somehow wins and brings out the demon, but it's like they pulled that card out of the deck so much at this point that it doesn't make sense. So to me, if I was booking this, which they won't do, I would make Finn Balor consistently lose because of the bullshit the Miz is able to pull until he turns hill and creates the club. And then gets Anderson and Gallows. And then you have a legitimate threat for the IC title and hopefully the tag titles or the tag, are they tag They're not tag champs yet. But you could have a Shield versus Club match, and I think that's where they need to go. And I think WWE standpoint, Bullet Club needs to be the heels, even though I think they will end up being more over than the Shield. But you got to start from somewhere, and I think this is a good stepping stone. But they won't fucking go that route. Basically, they're just going to have Finn Balor's going to beat Curtis Axel, and next week he's going to beat fucking Bo Dallas, and then the week after that he's going to lose to The Miz, and then he's going to wrestle The Miz at the next pay-per-view, and no one will give a shit about it. So that's my predictions for the next, like, four weeks. Damn. What about Sheamus and Seth Rollins? Did you say what all you need to say about that, sir? Well, we we talked it about about it a bit early. I thought it was a good... I mean, I honestly, they, they put on a good match. Um, they did. I think we're worried a little bit more about it because of, you know... Seamus's health condition, but if he thinks he can do that, then, you know, he knows better. He knows his body better than we do. Um, I just, you know, want him to be a bit more careful. He's a stiff wrestler, and uh, like I said, sending him warm vibes. It was probably the better match on the show. I, I, actually, looking at all of these matches, this might have been the best match on the show. Um, I don't know. I don't, I really, really, really fucking don't like Seth Rollins' finisher. It just does not have the same impact as the V-trigger that Kenny Omega does when he does it, and it's it's his third copied finisher. 
just, I don't know. Like, if anyone ever needed a submission finisher, even if it was something as simple as the Texas Cloverleaf or something, Seth Rollins is the guy to give it to. Like, something well, that's already been used. Frog Splash. Like, he does that all the time. I think that's – Frog Splash is an ending move, guys. I mean, that's the thing is the evolution of wrestling. Super kicks are nothing. Frog Splash are nothing. You know, you, those are all minor moves instead of finishing moves. Yeah, and I mean, Seth Rollins and, and you know, uh, God, Sasha Banks and Kevin Owens have made that like a two-count move as opposed to a finisher. So it's kind of sad. But, like, him breaking out something like a Texas Cloverleaf or a weird submission I think would do his character, like, a lot. Because he still has the amount of offense and moves they can pull. Like, a lot of the moves that he does outside of his finisher look better than his fucking finisher. Look more devastating than his finisher. He's not able to do the yeah. Okada V-Tuner because he's never going to stiff anyway. Like, he's not going to stiff anyone like <laughs> Omega did Okada like three times. And that's always what I'm going to associate with, with that. Uh, and the pedigree was, you know, it made sense when it was the Triple H, you know, chosen one. And then before that, the curb stomp, which was like a very awesome move. You know, they took that away from him, which sucks for him. But, like, I, I don't know. I would just like to see him do something kind of original. A little different. Even if it's not original. Like like I said, something like a single leg Boston Crab or a Texas Cloverleaf. Like, something that's been done before. Like, Dean Malenko did the Texas Cloverleaf. That'd be a fucking awesome move for Seth Rollins. He didn't even have to call it anything else. Just call it the Texas fucking Cloverleaf. And if you make people tap to it, it'll look super effective. Like, you know, like the LaBelle lock by Daniel Bryan got him way the fuck. Yeah, but the thing is, they they don't even have a name for it. Like, it literally, like, I think Seth calls it the kick, but they still have not. I think after Corey kind of fucked up and called it that one thing that, you know, ricochets that that's actually his move. You know, they don't really have a name for it. They don't really have a name for it, and I do. If you could get the rhythm right, I like the fact that he's going for a super kick, followed by that back to back. But it's only because it's kind of like, well, you're just doing it because Dean Ambrose is not in to do the uh, the dirty deeds into it, like your setup concept. So he needs to find something. Uh, he's way better than that, but I do agree with you. Let's move on to what I consider the two best matches of the night: the first, second chance. Uh, fatal four-way dance between Cedric Alexander, Tony Nese, Mustafa Ali, and uh, Aviat Davari. Uh, Drew Gallick was present um, and at the uh, announce table, and I loved how he's so good on the mic and uh, such a great heel. And, like, every time Michael Cole would try to get him into something, he compared him to Booker T. He's like, well, Booker, I think he learned from you because he would, like, completely go around it. Like, you know, like, so how do you feel about you potentially having to go against Enzo? And he'd be like, yeah, I believe me and Enzo's relationship is great. And, like, politician is way out of it. It was great. I liked the the uh, match a lot. Cedric ended up winning, which I did not think was going to happen. Um, and I'm happy for him, but he's going to he's gonna lose to Drew Gulak so they can build up the Drew Gulak versus uh, uh, Enzo Amore thing. My favorite match of the night, though, was Roman Reigns and Cesaro. I thought the guys put on a fucking awesome match. Um, you know, you can say about Roman Reigns about – always gets certain moves, and he always does them, and that's people's complaint for lots of wrestlers. But if they do them well, and they're, an, they're a good in-ring performer, and they can sell and stuff like that, I think he's getting a lot better at everything. Cesaro is a monster. Um, Reigns won the competitive match with a spear, but I think it was the audience that won with that match. Um, how'd you feel about these two? 
Uh, I thought the Cruiserweight match was good. I really liked Drew Gulak more than the match um, on his commentary. I think he's done a lot to get himself over, and hopefully this guy gets a run with the title because it's the kind of characters you need to, to build upon that division. And I'm glad they're at least giving someone else a chance, not Enzo. Um, I think he fills a little bit of a heel void with Neville being gone. And he could even be a transitional uh, champion if Neville's coming back. It would make sense. Uh, so overall, you know, I really, I enjoyed the match, but mostly for the commentary, the match was just okay. I mean, they, they don't give those guys enough time. Like I I still don't think they give those guys enough time to really show what they can do, especially in a four way match, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, like Cedric Alexander winning, I'm kind of on the same page with you. I still feel like Enzo's going to pull it out, but it could be a situation where, you know, Drew Gulick, uh, screw Cedric and then like him and Enzo are like hanging out in the ring and then he also screws Enzo you know or he immediately attacks Enzo after the match or something I think that's like a good good setup for a feud between those two guys um, especially because this whole thing is he hates like fan chants and everybody always does the Enzo gimmick so like you know, it's it's a good match. And the Intercontinental Championship match, I thought it was I thought it was good. I don't think I was as high on it as you were. And I think the main problem is like Roman Reigns with a shield is indestructible. It's like Superman. Like there's no fucking kryptonite for him. He's an absolute monster. Cesaro sold his ass off. Um and I think that's why I liked the at least like the Seth Rollins Sheamus match a little bit more because you feel like Sheamus might have an advantage. And that match, especially with Cesaro, his partner, lurking afoot. Um, whereas, like, Roman Reigns con- consistently beats up two to three guys, like, on a constant. Like, he's always – he's like John Cena. Like, he's always going to be out-team, but, you know, he's going to come out on top. So, like, it's it was a typical Roman Reigns match. Cesaro looked good in it. Um, I think he did a good job of making Cesaro look strong, as strong as Roman Reigns can make it make a guy look without actually putting him over. So, you know, I didn't really have a problem, but I wasn't super stoked on it. All right, well, let's finish these last three matches, uh, part of the card. Asuka versus Alicia Fox never happened. Uh, Fox never showed up, so Absolution came out instead and tried to attack Asuka three-on-one before they could finish any type of beatdown, the entire Raw women's locker room, including Fox, showed up to make the save, led by Alexa Bliss, her champion. Um, uh, all right. To me, uh, the whole thing with this whole entire it, – it's just I'm watching them back-to-back, back back, obviously. I don't know why, if they're not connected, WWE decided to make two three-person uh, women groups – um, stables on both programs doing the exact same thing. Just think it's lazy booking, honestly. Uh, this one, I think, absolutely can stay, but it seems like Ruby could be fine by herself over on the other program. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. But either way, uh, Asuka and the whole entire women's locker room was strong, shown strong against their opposers. So that's good, I guess. Uh, then Samojo defeated Dean Ambrose. Ambrose appeared to have the match won, but Jason Jordan, upset about not getting the match with Joe, got on the apron. Ambrose confronted Jordan, allowing Joe to take both of them out and choke Ambrose out with the Kohina clutch. The last match, Braun Strowman versus Kane, ended in a double countout after Strowman put Kane through the ringside barrier. No word on what the hell is going to happen with the Universal title at Royal Rumble 
but we're assuming it's going to be a three-man now. Monster, bash match. That Braun Strowman should probably win, that he won't. Um, how do you feel about these three matches, Chris? Well, I feel like I'll pop really hard if Kane wins the title. <laughs> like, one, it'd be a good send-off for Kane, and two, I love fucking Kane. But uh, that match was fine. I mean, it was just a double DQ. Uh, Samoa Joe beating uh, Dean Ambrose, it made sense. Jason Jordan's character doesn't mean anything to the fans, so it was kind of a waste of a, what could have potentially been a good match between two good wrestlers. Um, not that Jason Jordan's not a good wrestler, I just don't think people give a fuck about his character. Um, so it was kind of a waste of a match. But it was good that Joe got the, the choke out. Um, and then... This fucking... Like, the women's roster thing is just complete, utter bullshit. I hate stuff like this. I don't like heels siding with baby faces, whether it's, like, an opposing group. Like, Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen would not side with the NWO versus WCW. They still stood apart. And that's why the fucking Four Horsemen are great. And, like, this entire other roster shit they're trying to do is terrible. It doesn't fucking work. You can't have a heel work with good guys. Like, Alexa Bliss, unless she's going to end up being, like, a fourth member of Absolution, or, or, or are they calling themselves Absolution? That's the correct mm-hmm. name, right? Unless she's going to end up being the fourth member, she should have had nothing to fucking do with this. In fact, they should have all beat each other's ass, and she should have came out and laughed, and then, like, walked away. So, I fucking hated it. I thought it was garbage. And the fact that an actual match didn't happen, it made me think it would be more garbage. I mean, that's a good point. Question involving that. Um, actually, two things involving the women's thing. Guys, we're not going to go over SmackDown. Obviously, we don't have enough time, so I'm going to clear up some more stuff on Raw. Most of the SmackDown stuff is just lead up to what's going to happen at Clash of Champions. So all of it was precursor stuff. Um, but, yeah, the women's, I completely agree with you, Chris. Um, do you agree with me that it's weird that they're doing this on both SmackDown and Raw with two different three women's stables? Yes, and only in, unless it's building to something at WrestleMania where you're going to have, like, a four-way match or, a, like, a team match, which hopefully they don't do. Like, I really hope they don't do that, but oh, it is weird. Uh, but they, they're they totally recycling the same storylines on both shows. So, uh, I don't know. It's fine. I, it, the whole thing on Raw was fucking awful. The thing on SmackDown was fine. Like, Ruby Riot and the way they're building them on SmackDown was fine. But this Raw shit, like, why is the whole roster after three people? There's like eight women. I don't know. Like, I feel Nia Jax alone, the way question. they built. Like, oh, the God. way they built Nia Jax, she should be able to just demolish three people by herself. Like, it's fucking stupid. And, like, why would she help any of them? Like, I don't know. All right, well, my next question for that, um, (laughs) I I feel like, well, it's not really a question. It's it's so much, uh, the booking that I see happening out of this is that we're going to get Paige versus Alexa Bliss for the title, probably at Rumble, I'm assuming. Paige is going to win, and then it's going to be Asuka versus Paige for the title at Mania, where Asuka will get the title. That's what I think they're going in a roundabout way. Do you see that possibly happening? Maybe, but if there's a women's Royal Rumble, there's no stronger way to get Paige over than have her win the Royal Rumble. That's a good point, unless they and want to use that for the SmackDown lady, although they have the I money mean, they, in the bank for them. Yeah, but 
well, Asuka can't be part of the Royal Rumble because she'll take a loss unless they're going to have her win the whole thing. So either Asuka is going to win the female Royal Rumble or she's not going to be a part of it and have a title match at Royal Rumble and win the championship. Good point. Or they give we'll it, or they give that. her the title, or they give her the title beforehand. But that's the, only, I mean, because Oscar puts them in such a weird booking situation. Because when they, whenever she catches that defeat, it has to be special. So it's just whatever they want to do with Oscar. If they want to give her the title now, then she'll win it at the next pay per view. If they want to wait till Rumble, then she'll be in the title match at Rumble, and Paige will probably win the Royal Rumble. Uh, if because I, I do think you're going to get Oscar versus Paige. It, it just makes the most sense, and it's also the best way to give Oscar her first loss and get rid of the undefeated streak with her versus three people, basically. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where that one's at. Yeah, I, I do too. I think that there's going to be. I think that Charlotte is going to lose the title somehow from now in Mania. I think that her and Ronda Rousey is a lock. Um, at least the two of them. I don't know about the whole thing that we thought beforehand. Um, possibly Becky Lynch going against uh, um, maybe against title against Ruby Riot. If Ruby Riot were to win it against Charlotte, like maybe they screw her over her stable, screw Charlotte over, and then Becky comes because Ronda. Maybe Ronda comes out. I don't know, uh, but I definitely think that we're going to get another amazing women's match with Asuka and Paige at Mania. Like I said. I don't know what that means for Alexa Bliss. I really don't care. I'm kind of bored of her. Uh, she's good on the mic, though. I'll give her that. Two other questions I wanted to go over with what happened on Raw uh, before we send out. Um, Nia Jax, how you doing? What the hell is going on with that whole entire thing between her and Enzo, and why is she going to 205 Live? I think it's a bad idea for the men's wrestlers, but I know what they're going to do. They're going to have her be Enzo's bodyguard which is going to make everyone on 205 look bad. Probably. But that, right, is, well, that is the idea well, that, that she, they're going to try to make her China where she beats up dudes. That That is my fear. Hopefully that's not what they're doing, but I think that's what they're doing. Well, we'll find out. But um, last thing before you go, and you can send off, obviously, after you're done. Um, I think that the way they're going about now with, Jor- with Jordan and uh, Kurt Angle is actually – Good. I like that Kurt Angle called him out, and I think this is definitely leading to a heel turn. Do you agree? And let the audience know how you feel about them and send off in some way, Chris. Well, uh, 100% agree with you. I thought that when this thing didn't work out, they were going to turn Jason Jordan heel. He'll probably end up not being Kurt Angle's son, which makes sense, and that leads up to a match, which will be a good match. And I think it'll do a, a, it'll do positive things for Jason Jordan. Though I never thought that he was the one they should have put in that spotlight because I think Chad Gable was the better of that tag team. Um, all of that Let's being said, everyone have a great week. Love you guys. Glad you listened to the show. Uh, hit me up on Facebook if you have any questions. And uh, also check out that Phil Lamar interview and all the great podcasts we have coming out this weekend. Definitely, guys. Full Court Brussels yesterday. We got another episode of Geek Fives Live Sunday. You guys have a good one out there. And remember, well, it's winter time, so try to, like, bundle up and shit. All right, thank you guys so much. Let the Geek 5 be with you. Hey, <laughs> man.